Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Freedom to Parent. Uh, Last week, we just talked about what we want to do, what the website is going to be, how you can help, how you can send your stories in. This week, we have a story from a mom who is going to be kept anonymous, so you're not going to find out her name, sorry. Um, I will tell you that they're in a red state, a conservative state, so makes the story a little more interesting because you'd think that they would not have some of the issues that they had. Okay, we will get right to it. Here is her story. And feel free to email www. Nope, that's not right. That's a website. Feel free to email us with your story at freedom2to, not the number, freedom to parent at gmail.com. All right, here we go. Before we dive into the whole story, tell us a little bit about what you do, why you started homeschooling, who you guys are as a couple, as a family. Uh, My husband is a conductor. He has spent most of his career in higher education. Um, But we decided to move close to family while our girls were in these formative years and growing up. And um, part of that is that I wanted to be able to homeschool and I needed some like outside support. Um, I didn't want to have to work all the time. Um, My career was also in higher education. So he was at University of Michigan and we we were at Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary for a bit doing some stuff there. So um, we just, we had a higher ed life and we decided to come home to this very rural part of Kentucky to be near family, just to kind of allow us to do the life that we felt called to, which was homeschooling, mom not working all the time, um, and him providing. So he is currently um, a high school band director, which is um, interesting. <laughs> it's a it's a very far cry from what he did do, but it it fits our needs right now. So, uh, although we kind of sense like the Lord might be taking us in a different direction. I'm a pianist, um, and I started my career teaching college. And um, right now I do, I I do pianistic things. I play still here and there and do concerts here and there and teach uh, in the evenings when my girls can be with their dad, um, you know, after school. So they're not shuttled to any kind of like care center or whatever and um, and and i get to be home all day and we do work homeschooling in the day so so yeah i just i i just parcel a little bit of stuff together um in the evenings um so that to contribute a little pay for our book addiction (laughs) for sure that's awesome so you guys decided to homeschool what was what was behind that why why did you decide to stay home you know, um, we started our marriage at about six months in. We went to a Desiring God conference for pastors. He wasn't a pastor. I wasn't a pastor's wife. And But friends invited us, and we were like, yes. So we went and Carson. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, we, and we had not been exposed. But D.A. Carson did, um, did that series, The God Who Was There, while he was there. And that kind of like was the spiritual bedrock of of our marriage, seriously. Um, I mean, we, like I said, we were very committed believers before, but that, that conference rocked our world and the Lord used oh, yeah. 
he changed us. I mean, he just changed us. Desiring God is a great resource. Like yeah. pretty much anything anyone asks me, I'm like, yep, yeah, go, go see John Piper. That's right. Well, and we were, I wouldn't say we were reformed before that. Um, and we definitely embrace that now. And it's, again, it has changed us. Like I credit that for what has made us being willing, willing to step out and to do things that are not who we thought we were. Um, because there is just such a, courage that that theology and understanding of scripture as a boldness that's given us and um I, yeah i really credit that conference for a lot so um so we got pregnant actually at that conference <laughs> ironically <laughs> yeah that's hilarious i know <laughs> so we <laughs> uh the uh, my daughter was in the womb and my husband said i just we just need to and her education needs to be us. And um, he started there and not too long after she was born, I took a very part-time musical position at Southern Seminary and that almost the entire community is homeschoolers. Yeah. And even while she's not even walking is, is taking my very, like, I'm not doing that part. <laughs> And banging it up with these, all these examples of these godly women who have taken on that charge. And um, after he beat me up for two years, I said, I'll try preschool. But that's one year and that is it. I won't do anything else. It's like, I'll be obedient, but I'm only walking this far. Um, and so I did. <laughs> then, uh, then we, we do Memoria Press stuff. So, uh, uh, so the next year, my my husband's like, "Okay, how are you feeling?" He's so supportive, uh, and I said, "I'll do junior kindergarten, but that's it. I'm not doing anything after this. We'll just do this, and we'll try." And by the third year, my heart was again soft. I mean, this makes me sound awful, right? This is to totally candor. Like I'm such a rebellious little little heart. <laughs> But it's true. Oh, that's awesome. It's hard. It's hard. It's a lot of work. It, yeah, and we didn't grow up around anybody that homeschooled. So, but, but no. like I said, being in that community of believers, really, it gave me the courage. It gave me the um, the the the, the um, materials, like you know, access to start asking questions and everything. So, and now, I mean, we we would we we homeschool now for so many more reasons because it's like the Lord put us there. And then he made us understand why he put us there. And so we're staunch defenders of homeschool to have our platform in our community to say, Christian, think about seriously what you're exposing your child to. Um, there's nothing that their heart and their mind is, is under our charge. And we have to be very careful about who we entrust that to. And so we are. <laughs> getting hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So your girls are third and eleven and eight now. Third so grade, eleven fifth, and eight. Fifth and fifth and first second. Nice ish. So you guys got into fostering. You got your boys about a month after you got started. And then what happened? We did one time. Um, we no. are. How do I say this without making it sound awful? We are the last people I think would have ever fostered. Um, yeah. Just, it is not something I ever thought the Lord would call us to. Um, and we we got married late, and we were just musicians um, in our twenties and very self driven, self self 
um, motivated. And then when we got married, um, it's not that we weren't faithful believers before. It's just that the Lord really changed our hearts and um, helped us not pursue self uh, quite as quite the same. And so things like foster care for my 25 year old self would have been absolutely last place on the map. Um, but we knew he called us there. Um, we had, we prayed for two solid years, whether we should pursue it. And honestly, part of that was we did not want to, <laughs> but obedience is always best. And in the end, yeah. But enough time, we were convinced that obedience was the way to go. And really, through that time, he, he changed our hearts um, and made us see the needs and have compassion um, and and understand. Um, I, you know, we had all we had all the right um, motives for doing it. So. So, yes, we we did. And we sailed through the process um, and um, we got first placement one month after being confirmed um, and it was um, a little boy and a, and a baby the little boy should we give him a name let's give him a name let's call him <laughs> we're gonna call him Joe okay okay, okay we'll call him that, Joe that's the older oh the older he was two and a half uh, sorry, he was one. Uh, sorry, he was. Uh, yeah, he was two and a half, and the baby was ten months. So um, they called us one night. It was uh, ten o'clock in, in the evening. We have two biological girls. I think they were eight and five at the time, and we carted them off to a grandparent's house. And my husband went one way to go get supplies. For the baby particularly and I went in another direction to go pick up the children and by one o'clock we were a family of six instead of four wow that's fast it is it well I mean it's your, your entire world changes in one oh, yeah. um so yeah I have mad respect for people who do foster care and are able to continue with it um so the the little boy who we'll call Joey <laughs> He, um, the, the weekend we had him the first weekend, he was, um, we just knew something was wrong. Um, he was in a car going to see the grandparents and he was taking his fingers and he was opening his lips so that they would bleed down his shirt. And it was intentional and we were completely freaked out. We had no idea what was going on. Uh, we knew it was not normal, but we didn't know yet about trauma. And so, um, and the, the baby, she was 10 months old. She didn't physically move her own body until the third day. So we could pick her up and move her and she might twist a head a little bit. But as far as moving her limbs, she was a sack a flower and on the third day I remember being in our in our loft changing her diaper and I yelled to my husband I was like she kicked a leg she kicked a leg and I, you know oh, I could wow. say after we were with her for a while and we learned I mean it, we were so green we just had we, we grew up in very bubble like uh, childhood so we didn't know what 
some children suffer. We, we understood afterwards that she had probably been laid her whole life. Um, she recovered very well, by the way. Um, but he, um, our, it started off in a, almost in a panic. So within a week, we were on the phone with social workers saying, okay, he's doing this, he's doing this. And my husband would have to sit up in a chair and hold him for him to sleep. He would have to hold him all night long. Um, it was so, so that like alarm bells were just ringing very quickly. And it set us off on a path where as, as academics, we thought, um, and, and by training of foster care, we thought, oh, the way you deal with this is you send a respectful email or you, you, you call and you give a detailed description of what's going on. You ask for resources and then you try to take the ball and run with it. Um, it was pretty soon after that that we realized that was not, that's what they taught you to do, but that's not actually what they wanted you to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I said, we were so naive and all we could think is we'll drive to the ends of the earth to get this child relief and help because he looked like he was um, always, all from sunup to sundown, it was as if he was on fire, running away from fire. And it was, now we know, excessive childhood trauma. So how, how did they, were they able to help you or give you any kind of resources to support him? Uh, we had a social worker who was dismissive. Um, she tried to bully us. I use that word lightly because I think it is overused, but she would try to intimidate us. Um, for instance, she would call and say, I want you in the office in 15 minutes. Well, we live 40, 30, 40 minutes away. Um, and they yeah. can't do that. Incidentally, it's, it's legal. They can't, you've got to have 24 to 48 hour notice. And, and, and I would say, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of schooling right now. Um, let's make an appointment for tomorrow. You know, like, again, I was so green. Um, and she, she said once uh, in that situation, she said, I think we just better put these kids somewhere else because you guys clearly can't handle what, you know, what you need to do. And she, you know, I, I, they, it was clear from the beginning. We were very invested in the children. They weren't ours, but we committed yeah. this to the Lord. So, so that kind of like intimidation, um, lots of rolling of the eyes at us. Um, we called her in to the house to have a conversation about him because he needed so much and, um, we weren't equipped and uh, we were surviving. Um, when she was here, she was very, um, deliberately scoffing at us. We had a second social worker here who was a wonderful Christian lady. She had fostered 82 kids herself and she had adopted so many of those. Um, and she understood because she'd lived it. Um, and yeah. she, uh, as well. Um, but it, we didn't have a lot of success. A, a little time after that, they got moved to a different social worker, which is pretty typical. And this person connected us with a local trauma center um, and took them. I found out later it wasn't legitimate. They did it for us. Um, they wanted to make us feel like they were doing something, but they didn't believe the child actually had trauma. It became such a, a situation that when he would go there, 
then he would have trauma response from there too. So we said, okay, this is not helpful. Like now he's triggering just by going there. Um, so, so we stopped um, just to keep going. Um, his symptoms were pretty consistent the whole time. We ended up getting him in a very, very good um, nationally recognized trauma center in a larger area where we felt like we finally had some people who were really knowledgeable and that we could, that would hear us like as we tried to advocate for him and they technically said, um, it's too much. It was too much for him. He was crazy while he was in there. He just couldn't handle it. And I said the same thing. He got in the car after the first visit and he, I, he was banging his head so much against his own car seat that all I could think is, where's the nearest ER? He's going to break something. Where's the nearest ER? So I agreed. I said, I can't do this to him. Like, I need him to have help, but I can't put him through that. In right. They ended up doing um, a really intensive 10-week trauma training with us. And it was helpful. It was really good. We learned more about trauma than actually I... And we were able to employ some of that with him, um, but it did not, he just, he was not recovering. After about um, maybe a year and three months, he was with us for a year and a half. He had different behaviors all along. Um, he would hit his head on the floor, on wood floors. He would... Um, pinch himself all over his abdomen, tiny little pinches so that he could be covered in like what looked like freckles, just all kinds of behaviors. But, but, um, in August, one of the workers said he was going home to him and it did something in his mind and he tanked, he got worse. And that's the only thing that we can figure out what happened because we have a re we we had our home operating in a almost clinical environment. All of us were on board, um, so he had as much stability structure and trauma trained informed parents as he could have hoped for. But uh, we think that's what happened is that he kind of tanked, and then he started exhibiting behaviors that after a time of us trying to deal with it, we and because. At this point, we had been around um, DCBS long enough. We did not feel it was either safe for our family to have these behaviors in our home because of what they what they were capable of accusing. And we didn't feel like it was safe for his sister because these behaviors were um, re reacted to her. So without getting graphic, I'll just say, let, if you let the mind wander into dark places, there were some things that were, and it was modest. He was only three years old, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, and we were away, steps away. So nothing grotesque happened, but we caught things that were happening. Um, and it, it, he did some very specific things where he tried to hurt her a lot. I don't think at all that he didn't love her. She was his favorite person on the planet. I know that it's all out of trauma. Um, and that, and, and I, and I just believe that she brought that out into him because mostly he did not act like that towards my children. The most that he, um, did that caused concern for us was that he spoke about my youngest daughter and said that he liked to see her without clothes on 
in other words, and he would sneak up on her to watch her as she was get, going to the shower, things like that. Again, he was, like, that he was just mimicking. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, wasn't, like, you know, malicious. It's just what he's seen. And, he's, and he doesn't have the, at that age, he doesn't have the ability to control those impulses. Mm-hmm. And um, and I can tell you living firsthand, there were nights that we hired an extra person to be in the house, a, a sitter that I used and trusted, so that we would have three adults in the house watching over. And it just wasn't enough. Um, three-year-olds can move around fast. And it wasn't every day, certainly, um, but it was enough. And we had learned enough of the system that we did not trust the system to protect us in the event that he were to say something untowardly, because you just don't know with a child like that. You just, you know, um, they didn't ever seem to believe us. Um, in fact, I, I was told later that they thought we made it all up and that we were making him out to be a monster and, and that, that we wanted to just adopt the baby girl. That's what I heard. That's hearsay. Um, but I believe it. Uh, they never did really believe us. So. But I, yeah, I mean, I quit work to stay home more, to to add to the stability. Um, We made huge family changes. We paid for his own doctor's appointments in in cases that there were no state funds to do that. So there, everything about our story shows that we we did everything we could for him. It just became a very dangerous situation for his sister first. And then for our family, second. I don't even think I thought about how it could affect our family as much and until afterwards. Then I, then I really, my husband was the one that said, we've got to be very careful in this situation because he is so volatile and they are so volatile that, you know, we have to protect our own children from what could be invasiveness of the state. So how did that, how did that progress? Did he go home or, uh, I can't believe she just told him out of the blue, yeah, you're going home. Like, oh, it happens all the time. It's, it's a nightmare. Did she give you any warning or that she was going to say that? Oh, you know what? Let me correct. Let me correct that. Um, so you might have to edit here. It was actually his mom. It was his mom that told him that. Oh, okay. I, yeah. And that would make sense that even that was more of a trigger than... The social worker, yeah, she she, there was a a particular um, man that he told us. He told us a lot of the abuse, and we believed him because his story was consistent. It was in two or three sentences, like you would expect a three year old. Um, And he told us in the times that you would expect bedtime when he was we were snuggled up reading a book, places where he felt very very safe, and that he had her full attention. He would uh, dinner table. He would spout out these two or three sentence stories of abuse which we reported which nobody cared about um but there was a man associated with most of these stories and when she told him he was coming home she told him that he would be there and so the link i think that man's name alone was enough to set him into a four-day spiral and i i yeah i remember that now um what happened was 
we felt like they were not taking care of him and we had absolutely used every resource and tool we could to help him ourselves and the lord had provided so many amazing resources for us um he he had been so aggressive with his sister in some really things that could have really hurt her he tried to gouge her eyes out with something soft because again he's three and he doesn't know what he's doing he's there you know <laughs> but he did and i literally had my hands on both of them because i was putting their coats on to go out to dinner so it's not that parents weren't around i had a bird's eye view of it um they did not care nor respond to it um the final thing that happened was on christmas night of that particular season I don't I know that holidays trigger trauma children um, he had the what we think is just he had a complete breakdown he ended up stripping down to no clothes running in his room we didn't know what to do all we could think is keep him safe we got mattresses and kind of padded his walls because sometimes he would take his head and do so 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 we were acting the only way we knew how you couldn't hold him because that created more of the trauma response um and we sat in the hallway outside of his room having a sippy cup having lamps things that we knew that were comforts to him while he was kind of surrounded by these mattresses and and my husband i mean i probably would have walked until i fell over dead <laughs> trying to help and my husband said we can't do this because you can imagine our children having to watch that and we we're pretty good about sending it away but this happened on christmas night it was unexpected it um we didn't have anywhere we could quickly skirt them to so they didn't have to see um and and so so my husband said this is beyond what we can do we're we're almost like an institution and um so what we did because we knew that the state would not get involved in a meaningful way and we knew that their their plan would be take him stick him in another home where somebody would not pay attention we called the guardian ad litem who is in kentucky a person that you're supposed to be able to contact on on behalf of the children and is also their advocate in court now it doesn't really work that way most of them just show up in court they don't know the children they don't know their stories um a lot of Locally, we have a we have a group that does that, and most of them are volunteers, so they're not necessarily like always available or invested because you know it's their job. They're just they're they're trying to do their best, but you know they yeah. only have so much background and so much information. So right, I have to say that we were very encouraged, and um, we this person who was there, guardian at Lottom, was a friend of a friend who kind of called ahead of us and reference to we are as people she could trust us and she was on a cruise ship and she went to fight for them she did she went to fight for them um they were going to take him and his sister out of the home and so you can understand as parents um all we could think is those children are going to be roofed, roofed to a home they don't know him know what his behaviors are she's going to suffer and she's going to be traumatized by what he's trying to do to her okay um so GAL intervened to separate the children for the for the sake of the baby and mm -hmm. um, it was the right decision the judge upheld it and that led into a nine-month battle in court where we were not 
party to the case, but we were supplying the information for the case of of fighting against the state who had then, it, by this time, it had nothing to do with the children. It was all about vanquishing us because we were the enemy. Um, it, there was a nine-month process where they just kept going back to court to put the children back together. They also um, went back to trauma places and without anybody who had lived with him present, gave them a whole new history of he doesn't ever even have nightmares now. And he, he sleeps beautifully and he's a quiet child and so I, I, there's nothing we could really do um they i mean all i can say is they basically created a fictional story to accomplish the end goal which was to get us away from the children um that's where when i saw your post on the blog of the facebook i i thought this could be valuable for somebody because um, our hearts were sold out after not being so sold out in the beginning. And we were doing what the Lord we feel called us to. Um, and we so intentionally, I, I mean, I, I can say for my life, I don't know that I've ever been so intentional about making sure that every single step is we're taken before the rules and the Lord and ourselves and just making sure we're doing the right thing because it was so important. Taking care of somebody else's children is a huge burden. And we just felt the gravitas of that. Um, and even though we, we were the rule followers to the 11th degree, and even though we walked in our own, financial ways in our own time we walked so f as far as we possibly could um we became victims of the government because we found out that um social services at least here they don't have accountability they don't have accountability to anyone and so uh they can they can say anything they want there's no way to take them to court for that there um there are we went as far as to, my husband had dinner with the governor. Like we contacted everyone we could to try to get help and there's just no help. And so we have a completely different vision of government now that we've lived through government. And um, for our family, the, the really dire things that were happening was after they'd have a day in court. And again, you have to understand we're not party to the case, but we are the ones who were kind of supplying information. So their lawyers battling out those children. We just had taken care of them. And the baby was still with us. She's not a baby. Now she was two. Um, but they would go to court. And um, when they would lose in court, when the state would lose in court again, and the, and the, the little girl would return to our home, they would show up at our door the next day. And we would hear, as we're at the homeschool table, the knock on the door, and they would bust in a couple social workers, and it could, I, I, it could be anything. We need, we need all the records of this. We, we need this. Um, we need to make an inspection of the house. You know, just so much that when my children would hear a knock on the door in the daytime at the school table, that they would start to get this terrible anxiety and mommy is at social workers. Now understand they came in, we had great records. We always handed them what they wanted. Um, 
we were not belligerent with them because in all this you're still hoping that Christ will be shown through you even though we knew they were the enemy and yet still we were just being obedient okay Um, but still today it's been a year and a half still today when we hear a knock on the door it has it really has traumatized us because the first thing you think is why are they here um you don't have anything to hide but you know that they're there and it's intimidation i mean it was basically a way to to put fear into us i'll go further to say that um the worst thing they did which is one reason we got in contact with the governor because we saw how bad this was they um created an anonymous charge against a person in our household um of of shaking the little boy um and that i think probably was the most heartbreaking because we had loved him so well and that they would take what we had done for him and i know he hadn't been loved in his life and they would use just the contact with him to turn against his sister basically to get her out of the house it was it just destroyed most of my faith in humanity and it let us see depravity on an entirely different level it was not a big deal again we you know we just we had we're such an open book we have people in our house all the time it was very easy they had to do an investigation um and it was over within an hour to not a bit they interviewed our children but they subjected my children to a doctor's office visit with a full body um full body what do you call they subjected and interviewed by the doctors now listen i our doctor is a, is a friend, and I wasn't worried. I knew they would do their job well. I knew they wouldn't be invasive. But can you imagine your children have to, the whole reason we homeschool, the whole reason that, you know, we have this bubble in our house that we're trying to keep these harsh realities of sin outside of their view until they're old enough. And by this service to the Lord, is what brought it into our house not that the lord did that but but the sinfulness of having to dip dosey dough with the world <laughs> is what actually exposed our children to some of these realities they still have a bubble they do um, they didn't understand what was going on in the doctor's office and i just I said just go be honest just talk to them they're they're not going to hurt you um and yet that this is why I feel very passionately about this because the government, the state, stripped my children of a level of innocence. And they stripped our family of a feeling of being comfortable in our ho- own home. I don't think they'll bother us now because we're not a problem anymore. Um, yeah. That's, that's the portion that we can a little bit relate to, which I don't... I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm going to record our story, which is kind of why we started this. And it was before she was even born. We had made some decisions to do things a little different, you know, just some of the pre prenatal and early medical care. I'm like, we don't need that. You know, if, if she gets sick, we'll handle it. And it's uh, Illinois and Missouri have a law that they have to report you if you don't do certain things, even though our pediatrician and our um, 
our OB, they said, yeah, that's fine. You know, it's not, not, it's not the usual, but it's fine. Like, you know, you're the parent, but they still, so we went to the hospital, had our baby and they still reported us and DCFS came, did the investigation and, and it was, it, it's, it's no big deal, but it's a huge deal. Like it's traumatizing. Well, that's it. When you haven't done anything wrong, you know Mm -hmm. that you have a good chance of it going away because although I will say that going through it, you also have a very real chance that they will make up enough around it. I, 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 I don't believe that anyone is absolutely safe. Um, but you have a confidence that, you know, we have a normal family. We're squeaky clean. You have a confidence that's going to be okay. And as I assume with your family, but, but it is traumatizing because it's scary. It's scary that your home is not your home and your family is not really considered to be your family. Um, and it's the States. It really is. And, um, it's just painted in a, in a much prettier picture with children holding flowers on, on advertisements than maybe when we think of early Germany, (laughs) but it's, it's really not different than the horror stories we hear coming out of Europe now with like homeschooling families. It's not radically different here. They're just more cunning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's scary. I think that, that impoverished people are disproportionately affected for sure. I live in Appalachia and, um, I, I know for sure that if the mother of these children had lived in a certain neighborhood, and driven a certain car, that her problems that she had would have been passed over. And if her kids had worn the right clothes to school and they looked like functioning members of society, um, they they would have passed her over and she would have her children today. But because she is impoverished and her children weren't necessarily the cleanest, but they, they certainly weren't, um, worst case scenario, but she had problems, and so um, so they were taken away. So I do know that there's something different with you and I um, as productive members of society than some other uh, folks, but yet still the invasiveness um, and the, and the un, unrelinquished control, they just the, the amount of control that is in their grip, I'm convinced that the, the casual American has no idea. And I don't know if you can know it unless you live through it. No, that's, and that's why, you know, we were just brainstorming New Year's, like, it's 2020, what do we want to do with our lives? Like, I want to stay home, I want to, but I want to contribute, and we have these passions, and we love our kids, and we've had these experiences, and, and, and you don't know unless, unless you know, and so I want to kind of, that's why I want to share people's stories, and and try to help people at least get a glimpse like you know hear your story hear my story and be like wow that 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 happened that's real for them the trauma is real for them like i may not understand that but i need to i need to protect their kids just just as much as mine because someday it might be mine you know and 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 that's that's what's yeah you, you just don't get it until until it's happened to you and so hopefully we can fix that a little bit and try to figure some stuff out. So, um, so where, where are they at now? Kind of what's, 
what's the couple of years later story? Um, they won eventually. They won on um, after about nine months of fighting, and um, they had used a another foster parent who is in thick with them. She works kind of for them. She does their trainings for them. She's got a history of taking the children who are the most challenging. Um, and she was a participant in all of it. And um, I hold her accountable, and I think the Lord will too. Um, they, they put both children with her. And um, the children are not back with their mother. And I would assume that they never will be. Because I, it may sound jaded, but, but really... Um, by God's grace, or by information, or by a combination of it all, we've been very uh, well able to understand what their next move would be because I think their motives and things are very clear. So it was very always very obvious what was going to happen. Um, they had not tried to terminate her rights at all while the children were with us. And as soon as the little girl was moved to this lady's house who told a friend of mine she was really looking forward to adopting her little girl, um, they immediately went back after the mom's rights then. They waited until they weren't with us so that they could give the children to this lady. Um, and so they'll have their way. It may take a while because they do have to go through the judicial process and there is a judge who says yes or no, but they will have their way. They will They will ensure it. Wow. Do you think, I don't know, do you think they got in and saw that you were Christian, homeschool, family, conservative, and that changed anything, or do you think it was just because they genuinely didn't believe that you were, you know, that he was as, as traumatized and, and all those behaviors, like they didn't believe you, or do you think it had something to do with them seeing a little bit more of your lifestyle? You know, I think they questioned our lifestyle, um, although I will say I, I, I think it was um, well chosen when when they asked questions um, and some of some of them were supportive and I think others were suspicious um, and I and I have to say if I worked in the field that they did and I understood what can go on behind closed doors yes. I can understand being wary um, but whether you're homeschooled or not schooled that stuff goes on all the time homeschooling yeah. um, doesn't usually come. I, I, it feels like to me, at least in the homeschool community I'm in, that homeschooling parents usually represent parents who are more invested in their children's well-being. You know, um, even statistically, homeschoolers. Because there was a, I would have to look it up, and I'll put it in in the notes when I post this podcast. But um, there's a study that was talking about abuse in homeschoolers versus public schoolers, and I think it was like one out of every. 15 public schoolers experience abuse from a teacher or a, a staff member and the homeschool ratio was insanely lower like insane um, the numbers it was yeah very different it's it's, so. it's incredible just what you hear on the news and that isn't that isn't a smattering of what actually goes on because so many things are not reported covered up or whatever we stood up for what was right and true and good we took a stand for what was just, um, and we did not cower. We could have, we could have had those children that we truly still today love like our own. We were smart enough to know how to play the game. 
those children could be in our house today. Um, but it would not have been right or fair or honorable. And I think that the fact that we would not play the game and, and that we truly were invested in another human being, I think that grated on them. Yeah. I think they wanted a system and they wanted their system to work. They, they wanted, you know, the way they had designed it, which was very corrupt. Um, and I think because we stood for things that clearly are, are things that only can be attached to the goodness and the holiness of the Lord, I think, I think that that just laid such an undertone that we were radically different. And I think I can fairly say we were the enemy. And I do think that there is a spiritual part of this because if you're a social worker and you have a, a couple of parents who are willing to do most of the work for you, it doesn't make sense that they're your enemy. Um, we weren't needy foster parents. We would say, please, if you'll just sign this, we'll go, we'll make appointments. We'll, we'll drive. We don't need money for that. We'll, you know, um, so in, in, in just in a logical way of looking at it, we should have been the people that they would have said, gosh, get us some more like that. But, but we were not. And we, we were, we were enemies almost from the very beginning. I, I feel like we were enemies from the very beginning. And it wasn't so, you know, the first year or so was not quite that dramatic. It was the into the second year as his drama or his trauma came more, you know, everything escalated. So um, that that's how I think that, you know, plays into all of it. What I, what I will say about homeschooling is we became so afraid of what they could try to do with that, with showing up in our house that I, that I just knew that homeschooling was going to be the next thing. Uh, not, not that they could do anything, but just another way to annoy and intimidate us. So I stepped out in front. <laughs> I, I sent an email and I said, I realize all this is going on. And I realize that there may be somebody who in your office who may start to question our homeschooling practices. So I'm going to send you all of our materials. I'm sending you grades. I'm sending you examples of work. I'm also going to go ahead and send it to the director of pupil personnel for our local school district. And I'm going to start a file there so that when you start to wonder about our homeschooling culture in our home, you've already got the documentation and you don't have to come knocking on the door to find it. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and, and I know that's a little bit dangerous to let people enter our homeschooling, but for us, it was just, it was just, we saw the cards coming. Um, we had, again, we had predicted everything they were going to do, and we knew that that was going to be just a next um, thorn that they were going to try to use to get us to give up. And so, um, so we thought, fine then. We'll just step out in front of this. We'll step out in front of this train, and we will we will provide everybody with everything they need. And you can't you can't come knocking on our door for that. Yeah, yeah. Just get in, get in front of it, get ahead of it, and say, "Here's what we do." Yes, yeah. that probably that probably did. Like I could have, I could see that preventing something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see, I was thinking. Oh, you said your husband 
like even met with the governor. So how, how did that go? What was that conversation like? Uh, yeah, so so our communities were, um, they our communities really rallied around us. Uh, it was fairly public. We didn't say, we, we kept the rules. We didn't say anything. Um, I, I hope not. I, I don't think we said anything that was not appropriate. But we were able to tell our story in a way. And there was a lady from uh, 45 miles away who was connected to the governor. And he was going to be in town. And she said, let me arrange a meeting with you. Uh, people believe that those things will help. That if you tell a person in power that maybe they can intervene um, in a way just to make sure people are accountable. Um, so my husband went. He ended up sitting down at dinner with him. Uh, we didn't know him, of course. And he he's passionate about adoption. And he's passionate about children. And they had a great conversation. And the governor was very uh, responsible. He said, I cannot promise anything, but I can promise to look into it. Um, nothing happened. Um, we did get in contact with the lady who was over all of foster care here, or second in command. Anyway, she was at the cabinet level. Um, got connected with her, um, sent her documentation, sent her everything we had. Um, was under the a, a good impression from people that were around her that um, she totally got it. Like I said, we had a year and a half of documentation of trying to, to get things done right. Um, but there was something that happened. And I think it's what happened probably um, when they took the child back to the trauma center and we weren't present. She brought in the social workers. She did not bring us in to defend or deflect anything that was mischaracterized, erroneous. Um, so we don't know what they said. All we know is that once she talked to them live and in person, she had nothing more to say. Um, we were quite, she, she did offer to meet us one-on-one, -on -one, but it never happened. Um, and so, you know, the foster parents around us who were, you know, kind of supporting us. There's like this another level of outrage. You didn't even speak to us personally. You have a stack of documentation, 10 inches thick, um, from the best therapists in the state, but you didn't even seek to, to ask us or to, to, to speak to us one-on-one -on -one and just let us share our heart and let us tell you what, you know, it was all in emails anyway, what, what, what had been happening to them. But I, but again, I, I have such a, on the other, on the other end of it, I just think they're all part of the same system. And for her to go against her own system would have been an uncommon amount of valor. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that she said to a friend of mine um, that she was, basically trying to make affect change in other ways that if she went against the local social workers, they would rebel and there would be more stuff happening. Those were from her own lips conveyed to a friend of mine. So I know what her heart's motive was. It was not that she necessarily believed everything, whatever they could have said. I have no idea. Um, it, but, but it is that she also didn't have the courage to stand and do what was right. Should have fall in line. Yep. Even at the toss of the heap. Yeah. 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 Because awesome. the system would break, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and it's a, it's a well-contrived system, but our state is known for uh, corruption. 
Um, but I, I believe maybe that we just, we're, we're just less aware of it in other places. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> so, what else was I going to ask? Um, happy story. <laughs> I know. I know. And so how many, how many years ago, roughly, did that kind of conclude? Uh, the baby, we, we always called her the baby. She has been gone since September 4th um, of 2018. So a year and four months. still pretty fresh. That's not that long ago. It is. Wow. It is. Were there any, I know you mentioned some resources and then you talked to the governor. Was there anything that was slightly helpful, successful, any... I don't know, online, I know that um, I referenced the, I can never remember the acronym, HSDLA, the homeschool organization that is, you know, helpful in finding some cases like this, but um, I didn't know if there was anything that was, was actually helpful for you guys. Um, every every place that we took our store to, for instance, the Guardian of the Bottom, um, it was always helpful initially. It was when, you know, like, Again, this is a little conjecture, but you're watching what happens. At some point, they dragged her into a meeting, and after that, it was over. Right. She had changed her perspective. I have zero idea. We we probably, we were recommended by several local lawyers that we should have um, had a lawsuit for defamation and dug up all whatever was said, you know, um, but... In our family had we were so exhausted yeah and even though that might have been like a silver lining for other children perhaps because um, sometimes those things can can help affect legal change because it affects the states financially <laughs> you know um, but we're, we were so exhausted and we we just felt like we needed to pull in as a family and try to recover and we're still recovering um, and that's what we chose to do but um, there was a judge at one point who uh, kept ruling in favor of this. I think he saw the documentation that was submitted, and I think he understood it very well. He eventually recused himself. Um, they had the the social workers here had had been in the community saying that he was he knew us and he was impartial to us, and so they were defaming the judge in the community. He found out. And he recused himself, but there's a somewhere in a in a document I probably can't reach. There is a court file where he he calls them down for five minutes for their behavior, and he's got an immaculate record. And he's you know from all we understand, he's a very honest Christian man, and so it exists on a court record testimony that he called them out for what we assume they were also doing to us. If you're gonna do it, hands on that. Yeah, if, if they were doing it to the judge of family court, they for sure are not going to keep from doing it to the foster parents. Oh, no, no. The governor did not help. The cabinet did not help. And honest to goodness, the only thing we had left was to maybe, um, there was a senator who got in contact with us and said, I'd like to hear your story. But again, we we fought so hard. You know, we would come home from work, and when, our, when we put our girls in bed, we'd start at 10 o'clock at night doing research and just trying to figure out how in the world to help these children. We didn't think we would probably end up adopting them. We were just trying to figure out and how to get them through this corruption of the state 
He was trying to take control of their lives in a very nefarious way. So after, you know, after two and a half years of living that lifestyle, we kind of ignored our own children, not intentionally, but these, uh, this took so much out of us. It was just a very clear, well-thought decision to just let it go. And, and I don't know that we believe that there is justice in this world. I mean, I think there is a jaded sense that theologically we see yeah. that the world is, is so corrupt and that the evil is so abounding that I don't know that we felt like that this was a battle that you could even fight. Like, um, and we definitely knew that for our home, we couldn't, we couldn't afford any more time not investing into our own children. Um, and you just hope that maybe, maybe, maybe somebody saw in, you know, we, I don't, I have, I have no words. I just, I don't know. It's a great question for me is how is the Lord going to use this to his good? Yeah. Uh, but he will. Yeah. Yeah. Someday, hopefully you'll look back and see, or somebody will say, hey, I saw this or I heard your story and, you know, it helped me do whatever. Who knows? I'm sure something. Or maybe you won't, but right. something will come of it. I know. I, I think so. I, I do think that... Um, most of the people who around us were had considered foster care, they said no. And when we, people ask us about foster care, you know, we we are um, we are so much more clear now to say, you know, you I get your heart and I understand, but you have to understand that you are working in the context of evil when you when you do it. There, I don't know of a single foster care story <laughs> that is a good one where you know people can get through without compromise or um i'm sure there are some out there i'm sure there are but it's it's just such a big part of it um so it's it's hard it's hard yeah that's actually what i was just trying to look up there's um there's an agency we have one I, i'm trying to think of the name of it um it's it's similar to a foster care system but the the kids that are within the system it's typically voluntary, so if a parent or whatever has some drug issues or just general issues and they say, I need, you know, to remove myself from the situation, I'm not safe for my child. So it's a private Christian organization, I believe it's Christian. And then, so it functions very similar to the foster care system. They come in, do, you know, do a home inspection and, and get you all set up, and then you foster these kids with the goal of restoration but it's not the state. Like the state is involved in none of it. So I'll link. I'll link to that as well. Um, yeah. After I look it up, yeah, that's it's a, a pretty cool organization. Yeah. And I would be. I would be more apt to do something like that than because we we've always talked about fostering and uh, but we had our first kid and you know we had drama DCFS before she was even born. So <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's just not gonna. It's just. Yeah. And um, it's awful because I feel like we're, you know, as Christians, we're obviously very pro-life and everyone's like, well, why aren't you taking care of the kids in foster care? You know, if you're, if you're pro-life and it's because we're, you know, we are, have a responsibility to our families as well. And you can't, you know, you can't 
you can't mess around with that. It's, well, yeah, it's and looking scary. looking at false religion through idealistic eyes, it's lovely to think, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna love someone else's child like like my own for a time, and and they will get well, and we will send it. It's just not true. It's we we have lost our sense of being able to communicate realism, um, and the reality is. The government is corrupt. I don't care if it's ours or Sweden or wherever. It's corrupt because people's hearts are corrupt and they're driven yeah. towards power. And that doesn't have to sound pessimistic. It's just the reality. And so when you understand the reality of the world and that all children, you know, um, that 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 the, the trauma and abuse that happens to children is more common than not because because it all goes back to the depravity of the heart and without the Lord, that's going to be wherever we look. And so the gospel is really the answer to all of it. That's the answer. Um, but, but being wise as Christians, we have to be very careful how we invite the serpent into the home. And I feel like from our perspective, looking back, we invited a serpent into our home intentionally going in, but we didn't understand how powerful the serpent was. We didn't understand how it was after our own children in, in a way or could, could be inspired. Could to have That's right. Could have been. Um, and so we would never do it again. We would never do it. And I can't recommend it because of that. Yeah. Um, I can't say to another person with good conscience, you could have a different experience because of course you could, you could have a good experience and you could have that Christian lady who is serving as a social worker and who is, um, who is authentic and, and serving with dignity uh, in the role. But that's, that's, we can't promise that. And, and I, and from what I've seen, that would be the rare case. Um, so, so, so I, so for us, it's a hard no, it's a hard no on recommendation. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of children, but I don't see how the government is helpful at all. Um, and so I love the idea that you talked about, you know, where there's a voluntary and um, absolutely, you know, absolutely the work of the children and compassion and, and building up another person who has fallen down into addiction or whatever it may be. Absolutely. All those things. But uh, getting the government involved in that work. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's what it's. I still I'm blanking on the name of it, but I'll I'll send it to you and I'll link to it. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a cool group. So, but that's one of the things you were saying earlier is you just you you may get that awesome Christian social worker, but I tell everybody I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about getting the one who's having a terrible day. Like she's just she's just ticked off and she woke up on the wrong side of bed and she's just mad and she's ready to you know just make mistakes and. Just, just because she's just not having it. You know, I, I, with all respect to to the social work community, the true statistic is that the the least academically affluent people in universities that are graduated, the lowest academic scores, um, are social workers. Um, so <laughs> it is uh, second yeah. above. Well, it's hilarious because. That's what my bachelor's is in social work. And so I was going to do psychology, but in social work, you don't have to take Spanish. So <laughs> I didn't want to take Spanish. 
social work. Yeah. And I went to a fairly liberal university, and it was just pretty much nonsense. It was, you know, you need to make people feel good about themselves, and what can you do to, you know, I had a teacher say that Christians shouldn't be social workers because they only have one train of thought. She, she said, you can't, how can you care for other people if you don't accept what they believe? And I said, because I'm told to love other people and love everyone the same, and, you know, and I can be respectful while disagreeing with you, and and I got to be in that class. That was my only B. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so uh, I take no offense to, a, to that yeah, statistic because I, I can see it. It's a real statistic, and, and it doesn't reflect every person in there. But we saw that played played out um, in our real-life experiences because we saw people that, in our case, they often, you could see that their backgrounds, like there wasn't stability in their backgrounds. There wasn't, um, they were not, they were not bright, and not all of them. But by, on the majority of them, they just were not right. Like, I feel like we understood their job because we were studying and researching and doing. I, I feel like we had a better understanding, but, I, but I'm not saying. They were also copiously lazy, always. We just got a lot of, of, of terrible character traits that came in with it. Um, and then there were shining examples that were absolutely different that, you know, would have made a complete difference, it really. But but part of this, what we saw was there was a insatiable need for power. And I think that often comes with people who maybe um, have not academically achieved or they're not financial achievers. And so there's a sense of like, but I have this authority over you and there's nothing you can do. And there was a, a gleefulness in the the authority that they held, the power that they held. Yes. And I know we're all driven to have something that sets us apart, but power is a very sinister thing to have when your motive is so that you can abuse people with it. Um, and so, so, so that, that element, you know, related to the government, I think, we saw on this absolutely lowest level of the government that unchecked power is exceptionally dangerous. It's so dangerous that it can strip a person of their own birth children. That's how dangerous it is. A t person with a $20,000 a year salary and a four-year degree <laughs> can, can come in and disrupt a family depending on how, the, how well they shuffle paper. Yeah. That's a scary place for our country to be in. I feel like that's a super good good point to to end on. So I'm not gonna hang up on you, but I was just gonna say thank you for talking to me and um, sharing your story. I I feel like that's the whole point of what I want to do is to to just that exactly what you just said. So that's yeah. So thank you so much. Wow, right? Okay, so that's her story. Um, hopefully, maybe that gives you the gist of kind of what stories we want to share um, so that you can send in your own. They do not have to be foster care related, DCFS related, CPS, whatever you call it in your state. Um, but hopefully 
you see what went wrong there. She and her family were trying to do a good thing, trying to be helpful, um, pursuing taking care of kiddos that really need it. And to have that turned around and just betray them so intensely to have their kids be put through that experience and their whole family um, she's still just fighting to get back to normal I'm sure there were a few things we made note of that we couldn't think of the name of and the links to those are in the show notes but I will tell you now the website and organization that I was referring to that is a type of a private foster care system is called Safe Families. It's a Christian organization. They aim to help parents and guardians before they get to the foster care point. So it's voluntary. Families can volunteer to put their kids in a safer situation for a time so they can get their stuff together, get a house, get a job, uh, get clean, whatever their situation is. They do not lose custody of their kids. They remain in the parents' custody and they go to a safe house, safe space for a short time until their parent is feeling better and up to taking them back. And it's a great organization and I'd encourage you to look into it. It's called safefamilies.org. Um, and we mentioned a few studies that I will try to link to as well, but I'm busy people. And if I don't look them up, just forgive me and don't take it as fact. Look it up yourself. Okay. Um, got two kiddos and a lot of stuff to do. So doing my best. Speaking of doing my best, please like and share all of this stuff. So that this message can get out to more people without me having to do extra work. Okay, we are going to wrap it up. So jump over to the next episode and listen to that one. And if you haven't, check out Freedom to Parent at patreon.com and support us there. Hopefully our goal is to have a new story every couple of weeks, possibly every month until we get a little bit of momentum and some funding. So if you support us on Patreon, hopefully we can get some more content out faster and more often. Alrighty. Thanks for listening. See you next time.